We're in the 14th week uh, of our preaching series on the names uh, of God. And today we'll be talking about Yahweh Tzidkenu, the Lord, our righteous Savior. Yahweh, the God who establishes a personal covenant relationship with his, pa- with his people, is our righteous Savior. In the Bible, righteousness isn't just a term of having to do with personal piety. It's a relational term. It has to do with how we relate to other people. A righteous person is someone who lives right with God and with others. Or to put it another way, a righteous person is one who demonstrates love for God and love for others. Righteousness is a living out of love for God and love for others. Righteousness is what we're called to by God, to do in relation to others, what we're called by God to do in relation to others in our day-to-day lives as the Spirit of God leads and transforms us. Now, this name of God, Yahweh Tzitkenu, the Lord our righteous Savior, is used in two passages in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23.6 and also uh, Jeremiah 33.16. And we're going to focus on that first passage. And so turn with me, uh, however you can, to Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 6, okay? Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 6. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on them. On you, for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them And they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved And Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called. The Lord, our righteous Savior. I'm going to start by laying out the context in which this name of God is used. Begins with a woe. Jeremiah promises judgment, his judgment, Pronounces, pronounces God's judgment upon the shepherds of Israel, the leaders of Israel, of Judah, specifically the southern kingdom. Now, who are these shepherds? They're, they're the unjust, unrighteous kings of Judah. 
And what's God's charge against them? Rather than protecting, providing for, nurturing their people, helping them to flourish, they're destroying God's flock. They are scattering God's people through their injustice. They don't bestow care on them. They use them and manipulate and oppress them for their own ends. Now, in chapter 22 of Jeremiah, there's a long list of uh, things that the, the ways that, the, that the, these unjust kings, the unjust leaders are doing that. So I'm going to read just from uh, a few verses, starting with verse 13 of Jeremiah 22. Woe to him who builds his palaces by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice, making his own people work for nothing, not paying them for their labor. He says, I will build myself a great palace with spacious upper rooms. So he makes large windows and panels it with cedar, decorates it in red. Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? And skipping down to verse 17. But your eyes and your heart are set only on dishonest gain on shedding innocent blood and on oppression and extortion. So in chapter 22, Jeremiah brings some pretty specific charges against these unjust kings. He says they exploit workers by failing to pay them fair wages. You can think of migrant workers in our country or personal care attendants or just about anybody who now is considered an essential worker and puts their lives in the line, works full-time, and barely makes ends meet. He talks about conspicuous affluence and cons- consumption at the expense of the people, particularly the poor. They build these penthouse chambers, spacious upper rooms, with, you know large windows for luxury and display. He talks about cedar. And uh, cedar was the most expensive kind of wood. It was a status symbol. He talks about red dye. Vermilion was the most expensive and showy form of paint. So what he's saying is they build these palaces and, and what they are, vanity projects. They're just ways to display their, their wealth, their power, their influence. See how big I am. See how great I am. See how much wealth I have. It's all show. But it comes on the backs of the people. And Jeremiah says, God sees this. And he will bring judgment. He talks about fraud and greed and uh, Verse 17a of Jeremiah 22. And it's the most egregious kind. He says, your eyes and heart are set only on dishonest gain. So it's all, so what Jeremiah is pointing out, what God is saying to Jeremiah to point out in chapter 22 is that God will judge the kinds of social inequalities, inequities that come from wealthy, the wealthy class, the powerful class, abusing, adding to 
the burdens of the working poor. He talks about bloodshed and violence and murder in Jeremiah 22:17b. And there are all kinds of examples in Israel's history of that. And he talks about oppression and extortion in 17c. There's this hard passage to read actually in Ezekiel chapter 20, Ezekiel chapter 22, verses 6 through 12, written in uh, near the same period that Jeremiah is writing about or describing about the realities back in Jerusalem. So in chapter 2 of Jeremiah, Jeremiah condemns the political leaders for causing suffering to the poor and needy through their arrogance and through their destructive greed, through their lust for power. But it's not just the political leaders that are a problem. It's the religious leaders, the prophets too. And Jeremiah gets at that in chapter 23 in a passage just after the one I read. They're supposed to declare God's word, uphold God's standards, but they don't because they also are corrupt. Jeremiah 23, 9 to 11 tells us, the prophets follow an evil course and use their power unjustly. Both prophet and priest are godless. Even in my temple, I find their wickedness, declares the Lord. So you get political leaders who are corrupt and religious leaders are following right after them. They follow an evil course. They don't challenge the wickedness of the political leaders. That's their job. That's what prophets and priests are supposed to do. They're supposed to hold the nation, to hold the standards of God, the values of God before the nation. And they don't. They just follow right along. Why? Because if they follow along, they get the perks and privileges of power too. And they want that more than they want God's favor. So they sell out their souls for temporal gain. And at that time, part of the way they did it was by putting this kind of a patriotic veneer around their prophetic pronouncements. You know, people, leaders can get away with a whole lot of stuff if they just figure out a way to wrap the flag around it when they talk about it. So in their lust for power and privilege, these prophets use their power unjustly Instead of speaking God's truth, promoting God's agenda, they sell their souls for the perks of royal favor. They claim to speak for God, but it's all lies. It's all lies. Nothing of God in them. They are godless, God says. Derek Kidner, in his commentary on Jeremiah, writes this. Without justice... A nation suffers, but without truth, it sickens. Isn't this a description 
of where we are as a nation. As a culture, we're losing our capacity to discern what is true and what isn't. Truth has been corrupted. It's, been, it's being disregarded. It's being manipulated in the service of power. Justice is neglected and overturned in the service of greed. We are a nation that suffers, a nation that's sickened. Jeremiah paints a grim picture of Judah's corruption. Corrupt, sinful, sick, suffering. And when you can almost, you can almost not be able to hear anything more, all of a sudden, Jeremiah belts out a song of hope. He paints a picture, a vision of hope. He says there's a new a better future coming. So verse three again of Jeremiah 23, I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them and will bring them back to their pastures where they will be fruitful and increase in number. God says, you shepherds, you're corrupt, you've scattered, you've abused the flock, but I myself will shepherd my people. I will bring them back. He says, I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, says the Lord. Verse five, the days are coming. The days are coming declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. The days are coming. That's a promise from the Lord that a better future is on the way. And the Lord always, always, always keeps his promises. I will raise up a king, the Lord says, who will reign wisely and do what is right and just in the land. The promise is about a person who will come, a wise king who will do what is just and right, a great king who will be a righteous savior. And that person has, in fact, come. Jesus the Christ is God's righteous savior. Jesus came to establish his kingdom a kingdom characterized by justice and righteousness and peace and wholeness. He came to enable us to become what we cannot become on our own. He came to lead us, to transform us, and to make us just and righteous like him. Jesus came to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He came to reconcile us to God. He came to save us. 
Jesus is our vision of hope. The name of Jesus is our song of hope. He is building his church and even the gates of hell, even the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He is establishing his kingdom and one day that kingdom will be complete and all of creation will reflect his glory and his goodness, his justice and his righteousness. We will not need to live in hope because justice and righteousness will be our day-to-day reality. But the point of hope is to shape and transform and direct our lives in the present. God's people live their lives in light of what is to come. We live in this still fallen, still corrupt, unjust, truth-denying world. So the question becomes for us then, given what God is now doing, what future God is preparing, how shall we then live in this world in a here and now? I leave you with some questions and two examples. Revelation 21 gives a picture of the new earth that God will bring to pass. In fact, the prophets themselves give pictures, visions, ideas. They paint panoramas, if you will, of what this new world to come will look like. But in generation, gen- revelation, there are some things that we're told. And here's my question, here are my questions. How do you imagine God's people will live in that new earth that God will bring? How do you imagine they will live? What will they value? How will they treat one another? Imagine that. Then strive with God's help, which is promised to us. God promises to help us with God's help. Live like that. Live like that in the here and now. Live like what we will live like in the new Jerusalem, the new city, the new earth. Live lives that are a foretaste, a witness to the world of the life that is to come, of the future that God will bring. Now, here's my first example, and that example comes from the life of King Josiah. Second Kings 23:25 tells us that here, here's what it says: "Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did, with all his heart and all his soul, with all his strength, in accordance with the law of Moses. Josiah was one of the kings under which Jeremiah served as a prophet. He served under five kings. Four of them were corrupt. 
Josiah was the one lone expression. And 2 Kings 23 tells us he was a good and just and righteous king who turned to the Lord with all of his being. Now in Jeremiah 22, verses 15b and 16, Jeremiah tells us that he, that Josiah, did what was just and right, so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the needy, of the poor and needy, and so all went well. And then Jeremiah closes with this. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. What does it mean to know the Lord? The Lord tells us what it means to know him. The people who truly know the Lord are the ones who turn to him and seek him with all of their being. He enables them to do what's right and just. He motivates them to defend the cause of the poor and the needy to use whatever power and resources and influence they have to serve those who are poor and have no power. Josiah shows us what it really means to know the Lord. He shows us how to honor God even in this fallen, broken, unjust world. Do what is just and right. Defend the cause of the poor and needy. So let's get to know God like Josiah knew God. Let's allow Josiah's life to inspire our lives. And then my second example comes from the life of Jeremiah himself. He was called to be a prophet of God sometime in his late teens, maybe, maybe 20. And he served as a prophet for 40 plus years. He was faithful to that calling. For most of that time, as I mentioned earlier, he served under corrupt kings who did not want to hear God's message through him. He was mocked, he was beaten, he was imprisoned numerous times because he spoke God's truth to those in power, to those corrupt kings in power. Yet he was courageous and faithful to the very end when all the other prophets sold out. Jeremiah's allegiance was to the Lord first and foremost. He spoke God's truth to leaders in a nation that did not want to hear it. Let's be like Jeremiah. Let's immerse ourselves in God's truth and learn God's ways. Let's use the scriptures to help us discern what's right and what's wrong, what's true and what isn't. And let's embrace God's values and speak God's truth in whatever ways we can, even to people who don't want to hear it. Church is called to be a praying, praising, God-worshipping community. We pray, 
our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your name be praised. We're called to pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. We're called to make God's name great. And no other name but God's name great. And we're asking to make it so in our lives and in our world. We're called to be a prophetic, speaking the truth in love community. We're called to declare God's ways, God's values, God's purposes, God's truth. And we're called to be a proof-providing community, demonstrating the character, the wisdom, the power, and goodness of God and his kingdom rule by the way we live our lives, the way we care for the poor and needy and powerless. We do what is just and right. We defend the cause of the poor and the needy. And, and I want to stop and say again, I am awed and I am grateful for all the ways people in this church are doing that. They're doing it in ways that we can't even declare publicly because there's so many things that people in our church do that they want to be anonymous about it. But there's extraordinary acts of faithfulness and generosity and goodness and justice and righteousness. Let's keep doing that. In these tumultuous times, these traumatic times, where do we find hope and direction? We found them in the promises of our good and gracious, wise and loving God. These promises center on a person, God's son who is our righteous savior. Biblical hope isn't just a wishful fantasy. It's not a denial of current reality. It's a recognition and trust that God is and God is always good, always in control, always has the last word, and that last word is Jesus. Jesus, who is our redemption, our restoration, our salvation, our shalom. Jesus is our righteous Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are Yahweh, the Lord, our righteous Savior. We thank you, Jesus, that you have come and you are establishing justice and righteousness in this earth and one day it will be complete. And we thank you, Lord, that we get to be a part of what you do. Continue to strengthen, sustain us, Lord. Help us stay faithful. Help us to know you and display your goodness to this world. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.